Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in In the name of Allah, the most beneficent, the most merciful I testify that there is no true God worthy of being worshipped except Allah And that Muhammad is Allah's true slave and messenger Tonight inshallah we'll begin the explanation of the classical book Called Blue Al-Maram Attainment of the Objectives according to the Evidence of the ordinances compiled by Al Hafiz ibn Hajar al Asqalani and explained by our Sheikh Muhammad bin Salih al Uthaymeen rahimahullah ta'ala. The first class took place on the 10th of the 5th month of the Islamic calendar of the year 1417. And in it, in this introduction to this task of explaining this classical book, he, the Sheikh, started by the Basmala, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and making salah and salam on the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us attain the objective which Allah decreed for us in this life and this is the worship of him and the consequences of that which is the good outcome in the hereafter then he said that know that the evidence for the ordinances which, which according to which we worship Allah the basis for that is the book meaning the book of Allah and the sunnah so whatever is authentic from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, then in its Relevance of legislation and ruling, it is like the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely. Because the Prophet ﷺ himself warned those who only refer to the Quran and don't act in accordance with the Sunnah by saying, لا ألفينا أحدكم متكئا على أريكته let me not find one of you reclining on his couch. يأتيه الأمر مما أمرت به أو نهيت عنه يقول لا أدري. When he has something regarding me which I have commanded in forbidden and in saying that he says. لا أدري We don't know ما وجدنا في كتاب الله اتبعناه What we find or what we found in Allah's book we have followed This means this implies that that which we don't find in the book of Allah then we don't follow and this is a warning from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم 
to those who claim that we take only by the Quran and we don't take from the Sunnah so the basis upon which the judgments and rulings are based in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the book and the Sunnah as to the consensus then it is evidence in itself being based upon the Quran and the Sunnah and had it been not for the Quran and the Sunnah there would have been no consensus as evidence so it is affirmed by the way of the book and the Sunnah meaning the consensus itself is affirmed by the way of the book and the Sunnah and similarly the analogy for deducting certain rulings ثَابِتٌ بِالْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ is affirmed in the Quran and the Sunnah had it not been for the Quran and the Sunnah analogy would not have been taken as evidence so therefore affirming that analogy is an evidence only by way of the, by way of the book and the Sunnah and therefore everything therefore is restricted to the two origins and stems from these two origins the book and the authentic sunnah and as to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it doesn't require an affirmation because it is already affirmed by definitive consecutive reporting free from any uncertainty or hesitation because the entire ummah related it century after century young and old and there is no differing regarding that and that's why the people of knowledge are with the opinion that anyone who denies a single letter from the book of Allah Azza wa Jal then it is as if he denied the entire Quran unless it is a form of recitation and in that sense if he denies that letter then in this sense he becomes فَيَكُونُ كَافِرًا then he becomes an unbeliever so there is no difference regarding this however what could be a difference is that people may greatly differ as to the application in terms of the text being evidence for a particular ruling in that there may be differing what this means is that some of the people of knowledge may deduct from the single verse more than one ruling in fact tens of rulings others may be able to deduct only one ruling or a few or even nothing also it is not hidden from us that the basis of tafsir and its foundations indicate that the first to utilize in explaining the Quran is by the Quran itself because the Quran in its entirety is the book of Allah and Allah is the one who knows best as to what is intended in his 
wording. Then after that, with the sunnah. And then after that, in the priority to the sayings of the Sahaba, and especially the learned scholars from them. Then the sayings of their students, who took the tafsir from the companions, who took the explanation of the Quran from the companions. However, in terms of affirming the sunnah, then this requires two conditions. The first condition, that it must be affirmed to be from the Prophet ﷺ, meaning authentically related from him. The second, its relevance to the ruling. So the Quran and Sunnah share this latter condition, which is Dalalatu al-Hukum, the indication regarding the ruling. The Sunnah, however, is unlike the Quran. It requires verification that this is truly related to the Prophet this particular evidence being cited. Why? Because that which is related to the Prophet is classified as Sahih, could be Sahih, could be authentic, could be good, and could be weak, and could be fabricated, lies. And that's why people needed to know the the process of ascribing authenticity to the narration. And that's why they authored the books of Hadith, the great books of Hadith. And then they authored the books of, narration, of narrators, Kutub al-Rijal, and their conditions. Not only that, they also authored books of history. Why? In order to show the dates of birth and dates of death of the narrators. All of this is required in order to satisfy the condition regarding whether these narrators are trustworthy or not. Are they masters in preserving the narrations or not. And we need their dates of birth and their dates of death so that we know that the chain itself is linked, not disconnected, the chain of narration. So there must be toll and effort exerted in order to affirm that a text used as evidence for a particular ruling is authentically related to the Prophet And therefore, and as such, and hence we needed Mustalah al-Hadith wa qawa'idu, the knowledge or the science of Hadith, its fundamentals and its terminology. And to refer to the books of the scholars regarding the terminologies of Hadith, 
and this is a vast and you know a great and demanding matter and for a while before people did not really give the proper attention to this matter why? because they gave more attention in dealing with the sayings of the schools of thoughts meaning the madahib and refining it however more lately or, or recently walhamdulillah people began to give the science of hadith a great deal of interest and especially it's growing amongst the students of knowledge walhamdulillah and this is much needed and here you know it is worth mentioning that the ulama the scholars rahimahumullah authored in the science of hadith in different directions and ways some of them compiled in according in accordance or based upon chapters and some in accordance with chapters of narrators and from those who authored and compiled based upon chapters methodology was the judge of the judges of Egypt in his time this is color of us of ours that we are addressing his book Ali bin Ahmad bin Hajar al-Asqalani rahimahullah he authored this blessed book which is called Bulugh al-Maram min adillati al-ahkam the attainment of the objectives according to the evidence of the ordinances and it is a brief book but with a great benefit we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward the author abundantly and to make his book also a benefit for us after this brief introduction then we go now to the introduction of the author himself and the Sheikh explains even that in the, in the introduction of the author Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani rahimahullah and before we go to that let me give uh, a biography of Al-Hafid Ibn Hajar who is he? his name is Ali bin Ahmad Ibn or Ahmad bin Ali rather Ibn Muhammad Ibn Muhammad Al-Asqalani and this Asqalani refers to his great uh, grandparents who lived in Asqalan and uh, Asqalan is in Palestine where they entered this Asqalan in the year 583 of Hijra or after Hijra so it is this is a place in Palestine around uh, around Gaza Ibn Hajar was born on the 10th or the 12th of Sha'ban 
the year 773 or after Hijrah. And he was an orphan. Because his father himself, his father was a scholar as well as a merchant, died in the year 777 after Hijrah. So when he was about four years old. And his mother passed away even before that. And Ibn Hajar had an older brother, and his older brother also was a layered, a layered man. But this brother died before Ibn Hajar. Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, is one of the rare people in our Islamic history. Sheikh al-Albani rahimahullah said about him quote Ibn Hajar was the strongest of those ulama of those scholars who had memorized hadith in fact in his times there was no really no one the same as him in regards to what he memorized and to the precision, precision of his of his mastery of hadith He went to school at five years old to memorize the Quran. And he completed the memorization such that when he was nine years old, he would lead the people in Taraweeh prayer in Mecca in the year 785 after Hijrah when he was in Mecca then. In the year 786, Ibn Hajar moved from Mecca to Egypt. And where he memorized a number of small summarized books like Al-Umda fi al-Hadith and also the book of Al-Hawi which is a book in the Shafi'i Fiqh. And also Muhtasar al-Hajib, which is a book on the fundamentals of fiqh. And other books also like in grammar. He took knowledge from a great number of scholars. In hadith, in fiqh, in fundamentals of fiqh, in grammar. And during a visit to Yemen, he said that he met some of the scholars there, such as Fayruz al-Din al-Abadi, you know, the great grammarian and scholar, who wrote one of the dictionaries of the Arabic language, a famous dictionary. Ibn Hajar took a number of posts and different positions in his life. On such position, he was teaching different Islamic sciences such as tafsir and recitations, qiraat and he was also a mufti so he could give he would give fatwa legal rulings and he was also a judge on all Egypt and also he took the position of giving the Friday sermons Those positions, or these positions in, in, in those times, were only given to the scholars. 
as for the teachers of Ibn Hajar, he has more than 800 teachers. In fact, he wrote a book talking about his various different teachers who learned from. In fact, as to his students, they were abundant. A student would come and learn, and then the son of the student will come and learn from him, and so forth. So father and son would take the pride in having learned from Ibn Hajar, owing to the rank that Ibn Hajar held in his lifetime, rahimahullah. In fact, the muftis in the land were the students of Ibn Hajar himself. He was well known for his piety, from detachment, from those unbeneficial things of this life, which means zuhd. Al-Buqa'i, rahimahullah, mentions that Ibn Hajar would fast continuously and eat very little. He started the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, which is called Fath al-Bari. He started it in the beginning of the year 817, and concluded it in the year 842 after Hijrah. And he said about it himself, it is like a dictionary of the Sunnah, and it is the case. In fact, it's a dictionary for all Islamic sciences. And he had many also books about the status of men, narrators. And covering various Islamic sciences also. In hadith, tafsir, ulum al-Quran. On Tuesday the 14th of the hijjah the year 852, he became ill. Such that Saturday the 18th of the same month, he passed away in Cairo. Rahimahullah ta'ala. This is a brief biography on for Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar. Rahimahullah ta'ala. And may Allah's mercy be upon him and upon all the scholars of Islam. He in his introduction, he said, now we're going to come to the introduction written by Al-Hafid himself. He said about his book in the introduction. Alhamdulillah ala ni'amihi al-zahira wal-batina qadeeman wa haditha. Praise is to Allah for his exposed and concealed bounties at all times. So he started, our Shaykh now is explaining his words. He started by, he started his book by praising Allah, following the example of Allah's book, for it is the Quran, the opening chapter of the Quran is Fatihatul Kitab, the Fatiha, and as you know, it starts with, with Alhamdulillah, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet though this opening chapter of the Quran is not the first revealed as you all know. However, it is the first to be put in this order by the agreement of the companions. May Allah be pleased with all of them. And therefore, the ulama, rahimahullah, the learned scholars of Islam, usually start their books by Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, by saying that all praise is due to Allah in accordance following the way of the Sahaba. 
regarding the book of Allah and this is from one angle and from the other angle is that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to teach the companions khutbat al-haja which is the sermon needed to address matters with and this sermon used to start with alhamdulillah inna alhamdulillahi nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu ila akhirih so it starts with alhamd what is the meaning of alhamd what is the meaning we say alhamdulillah what is the meaning of alhamd huwa wasf al-mahmud bil kamal ma'a al-mahabbah wa al-ta'zim wasf al-mahmud describing the one praise with perfection but look with this condition ma'a al-mahabbah wa al-ta'zim with love and magnification with love and magnification so this condition of mahabba wa ta'zim takes out uh, just the mere praise which is not linked to love and magnification Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praised for the perfection of his attributes and for the perfection of his bounties قال الله سبحانه وتعالى وَقُلِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي لَمْ يَتَّخِذْ وَلَدًا and say all praise is due to Allah who didn't take for himself a son وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ شَرِيكٌ فِي الْمُلْكِ and he had no one to share in the kingdom so this is praising Allah سبحانه وتعالى for his perfect attributes And regarding the praise on his bounties, the Prophet ﷺ says, "Inna Allah la yarda an al-abdi an yaqul al-aklat fayhamdhu alayha." Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is pleased for the slave when he eats what Allah provides him from the food. Fayhamdhu alayha. Then he thanks Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and praises Him for that, for His bounties, or he takes from the drink and he also praises Him for that. So this is a hamd ala ni'am. This is a praise for the bounties that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favors the believers with. Now, as to the term Allah, alhamdulillah. The term Allah means the one magnified, deified, out of love, magnification, and longing on his apparent and concealed bounties the apparent meaning relevant relevant to what appears to people from the bounties that Allah bestows upon people and that which is hidden which is unapparent to others And from the apparent bounties, security and welfare, strength, eating, drinking and the like. And from the hidden favors, the favor of deen, of the religion of Islam, which is the belief in the heart. And turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and depending upon him, sincerity for him and the like. These are not known to all people. Allah only knows this. These are the hidden ones. 
Then he said, Rahimahullah, the author, وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى نَبِيِّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ مُحَمَّدٍ وَآلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ Then he said, and peace and blessings be upon his prophet and his messenger, his family and companions. What is the meaning of salah? When we say as-salah upon the Prophet, the best explanation is that which is said by Abu Al-Aliya Al-Riyahi rahimahullah, that is, it is thana'ullahi ala abdihi fil mala'i al-a'la inda al-mala'ika. It is the praising of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the praising of his slave before the angels. in the highest place in heaven the place high and high however below Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because there is nothing higher than Allah and therefore this is the mentioning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his slave with the good mention before the angels and this is what is chosen by many of the scholars especially the latter ones However, Abu Ali himself who explained it is from the Tabi'een, from the successors to the companions. And that such a matter would not be said by just mere opinion. Therefore, it requires dalil, it requires evidence from the Sunnah. To make it really clear that it is as such. Some of them interpreted the Salah to mean. إن الصلاة من الله يعني الرحمة that the salah from Allah upon the Prophet means الرحمة means the mercy and this is not true this is not correct because Allah subhanahu wa taala states in the book in his book أولئك عليهم صلوات من ربهم ورحمة those would have the salah of Allah of their Rabb upon them and a mercy and this conjunction, this addition of the mercy indicates distinction between the two, between the salah and the rahmah between the salah and mercy and this indicates that mercy is something other than the salah and also ar-rahmah, everyone يعني, invokes Allah for this for, for others so, يعني, every, يعني, uh, there are people who say Allahumma arhamhu, O Allah have mercy upon him However, the issue of salah is not invoked for everyone. So we cannot really be firmly firm that this really, this salah, this invocation is praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on his slave before the angels. And we also cannot say that it is ar-rahmah, it is the, is the mercy. However, We may say that as-salah is a special mercy other than the general mercy which is upon everyone. The nature of this special mercy, however, we don't know. That I would like to remind that, however, at the end that the saying that it is the praise of Allah upon his slave before the angels is the choice of many of the scholars rahimahumullah however with respect to the salam now 
is it means as-salamatu min kulli afa to be safe from from every defect and after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he is safe he is safe from that which he may have exposed, been exposed to at times of his life like illness and and harm and etc meaning being exposed to everything that anyone may you know may uh, from mankind may be exposed to such things and the Prophet ﷺ also was no exception, he was hurt and he became ill and so forth but after his death then he is perfect from all of that so what is the benefit of invoking Allah of having this safe safety and security upon the Prophet we know that after death there are horrors the horrors of the day of resurrection and that's why the messengers the messengers invoke Allah on the day of resurrection while on the bridge over hell of Sirat Allahumma sallim sallim O Allah have your safety have your safety we know that after his death, the Prophet ﷺ is safe from all the physical defects. However, is it possible or is it not possible that there could be others who may plan or some may plan to remove his body for example? The Shaykh answered, yes, possible this in fact took place but Allah protected him and saved him two people strangers came to Medina plotting to take his honorable body alayhi salatu wasalam so they came to the mosque the prophet's mosque and began digging a tunnel from way far so that they can reach the grave reach his body Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made one of the governors at that time or caused him to be aware that the Prophet sallallahu says Save me from those two. And Allah knows best that their their real form was shown to this person who is a governor in this ru'ya and this dream. Allah showed him in this dream these two people. So he came rushing to the Medina and invited the people of Medina all the people of Medina for a big feast two or three times naam ru'ya two or three times and he didn't see those people who had, whom he had seen 
or had been described to him in this ru'ya. So he said, where are the people of Medina? They said, all of them came except two people who were staying at the mosque. And since the time they came, they are still there in seclusion. So he called upon them. And they were the same two whom he had seen in this dream. Subhanallah. And this is a protection for the honorable body of the Prophet ﷺ from being disgraced or humiliated anyway. So here their affair became known and exposed and he ordered them be killed. And then after that he ordered that a ditch be made around the Prophet ﷺ grave and he poured lead in it and copper so that nobody can reach the Prophet ﷺ's body there and since we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects the bodies of the prophets from being deteriorated by the earth and which and such that this deterioration takes place for other than the prophets he Allah, he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects the honorable body of the prophet from the human devils and from the jinn as well the jinn devils where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is sent to both mankind and jinn from the day the revelation came to him until the day of resurrection and Muhammad is his name And Muhammad in the Arabic grammar Ismu Maf'ul Which means Patient noun Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Praised him And the first and the last Also praised him And His perfect praise Will appear on the day of resurrection As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Promised in his saying in the Quran in Surah Al-Isra verse 79 17 79 and in the night offer the nafila prayer the additional prayers at night so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you and raise you to al-maqam al-mahmood maqam al-mahmood at the highest station of praise and honor and glory and this is in paradise the name Muhammad came in the Quran four times and Ahmad 
the other name of Muhammad came once. So what is the wisdom behind the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired Isa alayhi salam to say Ahmad rather than Muhammad when he gave the glad tidings concerning the coming of the Prophet Muhammad. Why is it like this? It is because Ahmad in the Arabic grammar Ahmad is ism tafdeel is a noun for absolute excellence. So he becomes فَيَكُونُ أَحْمَدُ الْخَلْقِ عَلَى الْإِطْلَاقِ So he is the be, to be the most praised of all creation. And is it, is Ahmad an agent noun or a patient noun? Meaning, is the meaning أَنَّهُ أَحْمَدُ النَّاسِ لِلَّهِ Is he the most praising of Allah amongst the people? Or Ahmed أي أنه أحمد من يحمده الناس The most praised by the people Both, no doubt, apply to this name And so it came in the format in the name Ahmed As evidence against the children of Israel Whereby Isa alayhi salam Jesus affirmed this name And attested to this name that Muhammad is the best of creation لِأَنَّهُ سَمَّاهُ أَحْمَدْ because he called him Ahmed and this noun is for absolute excellence so this is Muhammad then وَآلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ آلِهِ this is a form of conjunction or addition of the general to the particular So who, who are the Al? Alihi. Who are the Al of Muhammad? We know that it is incorrect to say Alihi to mean his relatives, period. Because if we define Alihi to be his relatives only, the meaning that, it, it, uh, that uh, the meaning uh, refers to the relatives, then his al will comprise Abu Lahab, his uncle, who is a kafir, a disbeliever, and others from the kuffar who are relatives to the Prophet ﷺ. And certainly this is not intended. Because we don't invoke Allah to have his salah upon the al the relatives of Muhammad who were non-believers so what is the definition of the Al the definition of the Al is they are the believers from his relatives the believers from his relatives what about Sahbihi Al-Ashab companions the definition of the Sahabi is as follows. Anyone who met the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
anyone who met the Prophet ﷺ believing in him and he died upon that this is the definition of the companion so I repeat the definition of the companion كل من اجتمع بالنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم مؤمنا به ومات على ذلك anyone who met the Prophet ﷺ believing in him and died upon that belief and these are from the particular matters related to the Prophet ﷺ as to other than the messenger companionship requires time to develop meaning that if you meet someone in one circle or in one majlis in one encounter or so and you leave each other it is not said that he is your companion however it is from the particular matters to the Prophet Muhammad is that if a person met him only for one minute or, or one time believing in him then he is from his companions yet لكن لا شك أن الصحابة يختلفون اختلافا كبيرا في الصحبة والإيمان والتقوى والعمل وغير ذلك and there is no doubt however that the companions differ greatly in companionship and in belief and in taqwa in piety and in actions as well as in other things now as to the al who came after the prophet ﷺ, they are considered from al from his relatives but they are not companions however those al from his relatives believers who were at his time they were also companions so when it is always added the al and the ashab added then this is the distinction as you have heard it sometimes however you mentioned alihi and you don't mention sahbihi in this case the al alone when it comes alone it is definitely means the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam on deen the followers of the uh, the followers of, of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu on the religion it is as in the teaching of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he taught the companions how to make salah upon him he said say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad O Allah invoke have your salah upon the Prophet Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad al here came without the ashab al here refers to all for the followers who believe in Muhammad then al-Hafid bin Hajar said his family and companions who strive steadfastly in the path of serving Allah's religion those are the companions of the Prophet and it is a must upon the ummah after them to thank them for their striving steadfastly on the deen of the Prophet ﷺ. they strived in jihad for the sake of Allah and immigrated for the sake of Allah and fought and got killed and driven from their homes and from their properties 
and history is a testimony for that and also upon their followers علمهم, those who inherited their knowledge so we inherited the knowledge from the companions though they are now they the companions are the inherited and we are the inheritors and therefore the merit belongs to them we are taking from them then he said rahimahullah al-hafiz bin hajar and the ulama the learned the scholars are the hires of the prophets and that's why al-ulama warathatul anbiya as the prophet sallallahu said they are the hires of the prophets i ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make me and you from them however who are the ulama the sheikh asked who are the ulama who are the hires who are the ulama referred to as being the hires they are the ones who are qualified with the correct knowledge the pure and correct knowledge who act upon such knowledge who dissipate such knowledge of Sharia who call to the deen of Allah who strive in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it's a inevitable that the higher be similar to that being inherited otherwise the inheritors will diminish and thus it's not the case that every alim every alim every scholar is a higher to the prophet however he may have a share from the higher from the inheritance of the Prophet ﷺ if he had knowledge yet he may have incomplete worship or he may have knowledge yet he is short in terms of dissipating knowledge or dissipating da'wah to Allah or in jihad we say that in such cases then such scholars will have a share from the inheritance but not the complete one then he rahimahullah proceeded to say and both the uh, back the backwaters and the hires then he said to proceed to proceed which is in Arabic Amma Ba'd some people said this Amma Ba'd which means to proceed is a wording mentioned to indicate that the person is moving from a style to another however yani this may not be the case rather it may be a wording indicating moving from the introduction to the subject 
so this is the meaning of Amma Ba'd then Ibn Hajar Rahimahullah said فَهَذَا مُخْتَصَرْ he's talking about his book this is a concise book what is the meaning of مُخْتَصَرْ which is concise is the one whose uses less wording yet profound meaning and he said this is a book a concise book then he said comprising the hadith evidence sources of the sharia so the author now is benefiting us that he didn't cover all the fundamental hadith evidences pertaining to the judgment in this book he said hadith evidences so he didn't use Quranic evidences in the statement why? because his book didn't mention any of the Quranic evidences yet we know that in Sahih al-Bukhari he rahimahullah al-Bukhari used to mention Quranic evidences as well as hadith evidences Imam Muslim did not mention any of the Quranic evidences now as to his that these hadith, uh, hadith evidence sources of the Sharia Sharia rulings so it pertains to the Sharia and this excludes therefore the intellectual and the ordinary rulings and Al-Ahkam al-Shari'iyya the legislative rulings the sources of which are four the book, the sunnah, the consensus and analogy as to the intellectual these are the ones derived or taken by way of the intellect and the common ones are taken by way of experience for example halal, haram, lawful, unlawful obligatory, recommended disliked, all of these are taken from Al-Ahkam al-Shari'iyah as we studied uh, in, the, in the fundamentals of fiqh class however if you say a part is less than a whole thing and a whole thing is greater than a part this is intellectual evidence and as to those taken from experience there are many as far as the Sharia legislation I mean the evidences they are either ilmiya or amaliya either they are called theoretical or practical so that whose basis is the creed then it is referred to as being ilmi quote-unquote theoretical and that whose basis is action whether saying or doing then in that sense it is called practical amali then he al-hafid bin hajar said which I have compi compiled 
meticulously so that the one who memorizes it excels among his peers. Why? Because it comprises most of the evidences that people need. And he said it may assist the beginner student and the learned one seeking more knowledge and may find it indispensable. So the seeker of knowledge may seek this book to help him for the beginner and that those who are advanced, the learned ones, may refer to it for help, becoming a, becomes a, as a reference. Then he said, I have indicated at the end of every hadith in this book, the imam who collected it, in order to be honest to the Muslim Ummah. This is what Al-Hafiz bin Hajar rahimahullah said. So whenever he mentioned a hadith in his book, Bulugh al-Maram, he refers to the one who collected it from the imams of hadith, like Imam Ahmad, Imam al-Bukhari, Muslim and the like, intending advice and sincerity to the Muslims. It is because if a person mentions the hadith, and this doesn't mention the narrators, a person who hears that, he may think that this is a correct hadith, especially if it is used in, in places of proofs and evidences, to provide an evidence or a proof. However, if he mentions the hadith, together with the people who collected it, then this is from the perfect advice, And it also requires another thing, and which the author himself resorted to, and that is to authenticate the hadith and to, to indicate its degree of authenticity. And that's why we see that this was not the case in the case of the exodus or the explanation of the book of Tafsir by Ibn Jarir al-Tabari. Although it comprises all the sayings and the athar in tafsir and the reports concerning the tafsir, however, the defect in it is he does not give a ruling on that report or its degree. And therefore, people need to look at these reports in tafsir at Tabari in order to verify these reports. So it is not sufficient to say it is narrated by such and such and such without adhering to give a degree of authenticity to the hadith. However, the author, rahimahullah, uh, sometimes would mention and then speak about the degree of authenticity of the hadith, whether it is authentic or strong or weak. Then he mentioned, when I refer to as-sab'ah, the seven, meaning the seven collectors, then he means the following. So if you read the hadith, and at the end you say, reported, by, collected by the seven. The seven means Imam Ahmad, Al-Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, Al-Tirmidhi, Al-Nasai, and Ibn Majah. Can we repeat them? 
the seven, the seven. When you see it at the end of a hadith in Balugh al-Maran, then the author, rahimahullah, meant by the seven the following scholars of hadith: Ahmad, Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, At-Tirmidhi, An-Nasai, and Ibn Majah. So this is when he mentions the seven and doesn't mention anything, anybody else. And it is from the defects of reporting and, col- and reporting the collectors of hadith for some people to say, for example, to put forward and give precedence those who are not the strongest collectors of the hadith to give them precedence and mention their name in the beginning. For example, to say the hadith was reported by Abu Dawood, yet we know that Al-Bukhari reported it. And this may reflect as if the hadith is weak in the sight of the reader or the hearer. So, for example, if it is reported by Abu Dawood and Al-Bukhari, and then you mention Abu Dawood alone, or you mention Abu Dawood before Al-Bukhari. So, either you mention, if this is reported by the seven collectors, either you mention that the seven reported it, or you may say, reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim and others. Bukhari and Muslim and others. You don't go and you say it is reported by Abu Dawood and you leave the others. This is a defective reporting. Okay, then Al-Hafid he said, and if he refers to As-Sitta, meaning the six, then this will be those seven that I mentioned to you, except Ahmed. So if at the end of the Bulugh al-Maram, hadith being reported, and Al-Hafid ibn Hajar mentions, reported by the six. It means all the seven that I, that I gave now, that I related to you, all these seven except Imam Ahmed. So there will be then a sitta, the six will be Al-Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, Al-Tirmidhi, Al-Nasai, and Ibn Majah. And if he says five, Al-Khamsa, then there will be the seven excluding Al-Bukhari and Muslim. When he says, okay, okay, the six meaning the same as the seven except Ahmed. Now the five means the seven except Bukhari and Muslim. <coughs> 